you go into your shower feeling tired. But as soon as you reach for the Irish Spring, your day immediately gets better. That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish Spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses. So when you finally emerge from the shower 37 minutes later, because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want, you're ready to take on the day and smell great doing it. Irish Spring Body Wash and Bar Soap. Fresh, green, Irish. Shop now at a store near you. And now, Move the Sticks with Daniel Jeremiah and Bucky Brooks. Thank you, football. Thank you, Week 18. My goodness, what a way to finish the NFL regular season as we welcome you to another Monday edition here of Move the Sticks. Rhett Lewis, our former NFL scouts, Daniel Jeremiah, Bucky Brooks. Uh, Guys, I mean, like, we're going to get into all of it here, the coaching news, the GM news, but can we just, like, just sit for a second and bask in the glow of a fantastic and furious race to the finish line in the NFL? <laughs> I mean, was that what, awesome what? what do you think, Buck? I have never seen anything like it. The NFL continues to be the best soap opera <laughs> running on TV. Um, the things that happen in the season finale, I mean, like – it is the craziest that I've ever seen. Like, in, in, I mean, the improbable happening. Jacksonville, um, just watching the Colts melt down in a pressure game was unbelievable. Oh. Like, seeing all of this stuff. Wait till you see it on Hard Knocks. I mean, oh, just, just <laughs> an unbelievable time. The yeah. San Francisco 49ers rallying back from 17, then capping it off D- with the – Sunday game. I mean, just DJ seeing the game of the century in the regular season. I mean, I mean, I got I got a text from a buddy that's been in the league for over 30 years. And he said, congratulations, that might be the best football game that I've ever seen. And I'm and I and I and I'm sitting here going, this guy's got a lot of experience. And I'm kind of going through my Rolodex on the drive home. um, And um, Rams Chiefs Monday night. I mean, Rams Chiefs and Funny Night was a fun one, but I'm I'm just thinking of the ones I was at. Like I was yeah. at the Malcolm Butler oh, interception right. Super Bowl, right. which was a which mm-hmm. was a shocking moment. But that was mm-hmm. one moment. I, you know, Clemson, uh, Alabama national championship Huge. game, phenomenal game, excellent finish. Auburn, the Auburn Florida State. I, yeah, we were we, me and Bucky were together yeah. at the Auburn Florida State with uh, Travis Ben or no uh, Kelvin yeah. Benjamin in Kelvin the back of the end zone, yeah. end zone from uh, Jameis. So I'm kind of rolling through all these these games, and I'm like, you know what? I don't think I've – what were their six fourth-down conversions? I think Herbert – With threw, what was on the line? I it was fourth-down and long. Fourth-down long, including a fourth-and-20-plus, and he freaking fires a touchdown. Like, I – it was it, – I came out of words. I, I said at one point in time, after that touchdown, Buck, I said, that was, for me, Michael Jordan jumping from the free-throw line level of jaw-dropping <laughs> play. Like, I don't know well what else to equate that to. Well, two of them, DJ, like yeah. – uh, like, I think that's the thing. I, I think last night what it did is I think it, was, it goes down as one of the best, if not the best game because of the implications. Right. Yeah. Because it's the winner go home thing. Like, yeah, someone is to lose a leave town match. Right. Yeah. And so with all of what was on the line to see the Raiders jump out and play the way they play, they play great defense for maybe three quarters, three and a half quarters. Yeah. They're playing great defense. And then it's the value of having a legitimate franchise quarterback. Yeah. And I think now more than ever, what it will make me yeah. do, I will grace so much harder when it comes to quarterbacks. Like that it quality bars is, raised. I mean, like, yeah, that that it quality is so important. And the fact that Justin Herbert, you talk about six 
fourth down conversions. Yeah. It hadn't been done since like 1970. <laughs> like it's crazy. And the way that he was dealing, because it's not just fourth yeah. and one, it's fourth and ten, and he's dropping dime after Dimes. dime after dime. And it was one of those things where I'm like, man, if you're in overtime, you're the Raiders. You're like, yeah. please let us get the, the toss. Yeah. Like, yeah, don't give it. Because he know. was on fire. And I'd never seen anybody act like that with that kind of stuff on the line. Yeah. It's crazy. So, look, we're going to dig deeper into this one, into the Brandon Staley strategy, the fourth down earlier in the game from his own 18-yard line, from the timeout at the very end, the potential of the tie, how it all worked in. We'll get into that here coming up. We'll also get into the draft order which is set for the first 18 picks. We'll dig into that a little bit, pick our most intriguing playoff matchups as all of them are set. We have six matchups coming up on Super Wild Card Weekend. By the way, five of the six are rematches. Mm, yeah, how about that? <laughs> so that's pretty cool. Uh, we'll get into all of that, uh, but let's begin with the news of the day, which is uh, some really big news on the coaching and GM front, as we've seen Really started with, I, I guess, you know, we saw some things that were expected. Um, I think we expected to hear Vic Fangio's name go, and that happened on Sunday. Today, kind of one of the bigger surprises, though, guys, in Miami. Let's start right there with the Dolphins announcing that Brian Flores is out as their head coach, GM Chris Greer, will stay. DJ, surface thought um, on what that means in Miami here. How that well, happened. I mean, I think everybody was shocked by it. I think probably the three of us would be included in that as being shocked yeah. by the move. Here, here's all I can say. I, I don't know Brian Flores. I respect the job that he did there to have two, you know, back-to-back winning seasons. It's hard to do in the NFL, especially you're starting over, uh, starting new and and getting that thing up and running the way he did. I'll just say this, and, and I'll be curious Bucky's take on this because I've known Chris Greer for close to 20 years. Chris Greer, I don't know anybody in the league that has a better reputation as a human being. Now, people can nitpick mm-hmm. him and, oh, Tua over Herbert, and, you know, is he a great GM? I'll leave that debate. That's that's for everybody to have. That's fair game. But I just know Chris has a reputation, and it's been earned, of being as high class, high character, a great communicator, an overall great dude. So I kind of look at this from the outside, and I say, man, it must have been pretty bad in there. It must have been pretty toxic with that relationship for them to make this move. And, and me personally – I'm going to trust Chris just based off of my knowledge of knowing him over the years that this was probably not a good situation. Buck, I don't know where yeah. you are on that. No, I, I mean, I think it obviously had to do something with that. Um, you know, the relationship and look, it's a, it's a people business and it's a relationship business. And my concern would be like we've seen multiple assistants come out of the New England program and have these issues when it comes to communicating with those in the building. And I will say to maybe even protect them a little bit is maybe what happens is the reason why it works in New England is not only because it's Bill Belichick, but you have a team full of people who kind of understand the high level of accountability and maybe the abrasive challenging that you may have to maybe get the best performance out of those people. But when you don't have people who are used to that, it does become very, very uncomfortable. And I think the uncomfortable conversations and the uncomfortable environment makes people feel a certain way. And I think, look, success on the field is one thing, but man, if you have a miserable environment, it just makes it very, very hard. And I'm saying that given Brian Flores the utmost respect for the job that he's done, to go eight and one down the stretch, to do what he's done, two winning seasons back to back after kind of doing the rebuild, look, he deserves a lot of credit for that. 
But I think we're at a different time where people just are uncomfortable having an environment that's not harmonious. Yeah. A couple of things to consider here because there will be uh, reverberations from this move. And uh, Dolphins owner Stephen Ross uh, already coming out. uh, You know, they've made it official. He's coming out and talking about it, says he will not be the one to pull Jim Harbaugh (laughs) from Michigan. Noted Michigan man, Stephen Ross. A uh, donor at Michigan will not pull. Court. Yes, DJ. Can I can I can I just interrupt you there for a second? You okay, may. because let's you know if you go to board a, a, a ship or a boat, right? You have the dock, right? Oh you know how you can pull somebody onto the onto the boat, but mm-hmm. also the other person can jump onto the boat. Walk on. So he might not necessarily be pulling Jim pulling. Harbaugh. Yeah. Jim Harbaugh might be just g- leaping onto that boat by himself. That he left himself. I think everybody's just kind of dismissed it. Like, forget Jim Harbaugh to Miami. I, I didn't take it that way. I took it as, hey, I hope he needs to stay at Michigan. But man, if he wants to go coach in the NFL and he's dead set on that, then you know, I guess we'll tell. <laughs> you know. There's now three destinations that are technically open that have Jim Harbaugh somewhat connections. Uh, well, can Chicago. I can I throw? Some, yeah. I'm gonna throw some water on that because I don't think there are. I, I and and Bucky and I, I, I mm-hmm. feel like we've been we're always kind of at the I feel like we're at the beginning of a lot of these conversations. We had the Harbaugh Raiders conversation two weeks ago. Yeah. And yeah. then I feel like a week later, everybody kind of jumped in that water with us. And so we were the first one in the water, Buck. I'm going to be the first one out of the water. Because I don't think, there's I don't no think way that Rich Misaccia is not the head coach. They're the five seed after all they've 100%. been through. There is no yeah. way on God's no way. green earth that he's not the head yeah. coach of the Raiders. Absolutely not. Absolutely not. Like, I thought it was a done deal. Yeah. And I thought it was very important. I think he realized the importance of getting into the playoffs and how it would do his legacy. And DJ, that's why when we talk about the Charger game, all of those factors are in there. Everyone everyone on the sideline understands, hey, man, if we get into the playoffs, we have an opportunity to keep running this back. Yep. Yep. And so all of that plays into the thinking. So I absolutely believe that Harbaugh is not in the mix. The Chicago thing is the one that might If you're betting, is that where – I mean, we're not not betting, but if you were guessing – that yeah, one yeah. feels that, like that would, one, right? I mean, that, yeah. that would well, yeah, be the I one. There. I mean, like, yeah. yeah, of look, course. Like, because as much as we talk about his relationship with both Shim Beckler and all that other stuff, like, he also has some yeah. times with Mike Dicker doing his days with the Bears. And to me, he kind of fits what the Bears are about, right? Mm, like, there's yeah. a toughness and a roughness about how he is. Yeah, he's an offensive Midwest mind, guy. But the way that they play, the way that he plays, his teams play, it absolutely fits in Chicago, and if you go yeah, back, but what if we at, had what if we had Michigan versus Ohio State part two in that in the race for that Chicago job with with Ryan Day? We won't get into that just yet. I'm going to get to the Bears here in a second, but I I just mentioned the the Miami part of that for Harbaugh, considering the connections, and yeah. thank you for pouring water on that to to Vegas. I am 100 percent in, in mm-hmm. agreement with you guys that Rich Passaccia has earned and deserves that mm-hmm. job as the full time head coach there. I'd love to see what he and Mayock can do moving forward with that roster. Um, but also the Sean Watson quotient here from Miami, because yeah. our Ian Rappaport um, has mentioned that big piece of Deshaun Watson's interest in Miami had to do with Brian Flores being the head coach, with Chris Greer being the GM. Where that power struggle, where that disconnect, where that discord was happening, how much of that had to do with the quarterback, I think is really interesting. Who was really into his camp? Who was on to his side? Who was Team Watson? Let's bring him in. And then, how does that all factor in here in the choice for the next head coach? I mean, I thought, I look, it's not a secret. Everybody in the NFL knows that Deshaun Watson has been angling to get himself mm-hmm. to Miami. And I know, I think Flores is a part of that. 
Yeah. I have a hard time believing that was a 100% Brian Flores operation. The only reason that two that he, that he wanted to go replace two of there, but one. No, reason. but I, I don't. I I don't see who replaces Miami as his number one choice. I, I don't. I don't see him. Right. You know, I, look in Philadelphia. Probably at this point in time, I don't know if they'd want to part with all the picks they have to part with. They're a playoff team with Jalen Hurts. They got three first rounders they can build around him, and they've got <laughs> yeah. something going. Yeah. And so yeah. then you got all the drama that, that comes along with Watson. You're gonna have to deal with as well. I don't know that they would sign up for that. So when I look around trying to find the place, um, you know, Buck Denver, but I don't know. I, that's a, that's a great it's a great football fit. But I yeah. thought Miami was a lot more than just Brian Flores personally. Yeah, and I, I think so. And I think the way it played out, I think because it was so loud, I think it put um, maybe everybody in the building in a weird spot with the quarterback. Right. With two, regardless of whether you like him or not, like he's your quarterback now. And so you have to deal with it. you got a young quarterback. You're trying to figure out how to play with him. And then when you don't make the move, if you're going to flirt and do all that other stuff, then the move has to happen. Because what happens is now you have scars and the scarring, I think, certainly impacted Tua. Now, I will say this. Tua hasn't played the way that I thought he would play coming into the league. And I think we have to, like, kind of have that conversation. Like, hey, he's not what we thought he would be coming into the league. And. You know, I can sense the frustration with Brian Flores there, like all that other stuff between he and the quarterback and the quarterback needing to play maybe better and those things. And so when you have all of those factors in and, you know, it's a little bit of a political play in the building where you have people kind of lined up behind their candidates when it comes to quarterback and all that other stuff, like you have a lot of back channel conversations. And so it's unfortunate that it played out the way that they played out today. But I mean, that's the reality of the league. Yeah. So that's maybe the biggest surprise of the day, right? To see Brian Flores mm-hmm. gone. It was no surprise to see Matt Nagy out in Chicago. I mean, gosh, uh, yeah. as unfortunate as it was, we've been talking about it for months now, really, uh, even more than a year, considering some of the issues that that team has had. Somewhat of a surprise to see Ryan Pace go as general manager after the patience that they had shown him. It is rare that a GM gets to trade up twice for a franchise quarterback and gets to hire three head coaches. That obviously wasn't going to be the case in Chicago. Ryan Pace also out as the GM there. Interesting situation there. They've got some talented pieces on that roster. Obviously, none greater than Justin Fields, considering the potential. Uh, guys, how, how do you how do you view the process to bring in the new power structure here, DJ, in Chicago? Is it traditional? We go GM first, GM hires the head coach, or is it something different here? What makes the most sense for Chicago? Well, to me, the only way you're going head coach first is if you're going big game hunting, you know? And it's, it's the Harbaugh and I, or I, something. Har- I nature. can't think – I don't know, Buck, if you can think of another name. I, Harbaugh would be the only one I could think of. Even like, a, even like, you know, I don't – You'd say, okay, you want somebody with head coaching experience. Well, Doug Peterson kind of comes from the same tree uh, that Nagy yeah. came from. Obviously, Peterson's won a Super Bowl, and that that is uh, that's not nothing. That's nothing to sneeze at. But I don't really see him going that route. So, to me, when I kind of look at the names for them, you know, the one that I would not rule out for for them, and I I know this guy's name's been brought up for jobs before, and he's never shown any interest. But this is the one NFL job that I think Pat Fitzgerald at Northwestern would at least be intrigued by. And he is – you want to talk about being popular in the city of Chicago? Wow. Jim Harbaugh would be a home run. They would Chicago's be – Chicago's Big Ten I, the, team. The Bears would be fired up. I think their fans and that community would be fired up with Pat Fitzgerald. He's beloved uh, in Chicago. And I know, look, Matt Rule hasn't worked out great. I know the Urban Meyer thing was a flop. Pat Fitzgerald's a little different a little different than those guys um, just in terms of – That's a culture dude right there. Oh, my gosh. So – but to answer your question, 
yeah. I'm always going to be in favor of hiring the GM, letting the GM go find a coach that he works yeah. well with and that that fits, and then they can be kind of locked locked together going forward. I think that's the the proper way to go, unless you go big game hunting. Yeah, I think Jim Harbaugh is the main name that I would think about, like that where you would give him the opportunity to be the czar of the organization, where he's the head coach, he has all the power, he picks his person and comes along with. If it's not that, then I think it has to be the traditional way of hire a general manager, the general manager then hires the coach and all that. But I think this job is kind of like fool's gold in a little bit because when you dig deep and look at their roster, I mean, it's a major rebuild in my estimation. The offensive yeah. line is in shambles. The defense is older and it's not playing at the same level that it once played at when we thought about them in their heyday with Khalil Mack and that stuff. No first round the, pick. No first round pick. You got the young quarterback, but you don't really have a lot around him. And so I don't think this is one – where you jump in and he's like, all right, good to go. New coach, new scheme. Well, yeah, I think that's a good point, Bucky, because in the division, you know, just, just, uh, just a little ways away in Minneapolis. Now that roster looks a whole lot different, right? Cause there's some, that's a better job. That's a better job. Marquee talent. Dalvin Mm -hmm. cook, Adam Thielen. Talk about the pieces on defense. Go ahead. But that's the, you know what? It's a good debate because we're going to see the national championship game tonight. Right. And we're going to, and we've talked about this a little bit. Georgia has a better roster. Alabama has a better quarterback. The better quarterback mopped the floor with the better roster. So yeah. then you look going forward. Kirk Cousins is, is a competent, solid starter right now. He's got better one year left. Yeah. I don't know how long that's going to last, mm-hmm. but at least the Bears have that central piece that's in yeah. place potentially for the next 15 years, yeah, while right. the Minnesota Vikings are going to spend some time trying to find that guy. The roster's outside the quarterback. It's not. I mean, it's not close. I mean, I, to me, the Minnesota is, is stacked, and they could you could come in there and win – 11, 12 games next year. That's not far-fetched. Yeah, no, I, I think it's funny. And I think um, there's always a recency bias. But I think now I am impacted by the fact that if you don't have a quarterback, you don't have a chance. Like, yeah. we can talk about trucks and trailers and all this stuff. Like, you can be a trailer and get to the thing on occasion. You're not going to do that successfully time after time after time after time. Like, the quarterback trumps everything. And um, for me to come around, like, just seeing it, like, just – Watch it, how the quarterbacks, the elite quarterbacks take over. Josh Allen, the takeover the last couple of weeks when the Buffalo Bills needed to win games. Josh Allen said, OK, yep. I, I got this. Don't worry, but I'll yep. take care of it. I mean, that's what they do. Tom Brady, all the noise all week. Oh, A.B., this and that. I got this. I'll calm it all down. Yep. And I think it's really important that when, you, when you're looking at jobs, you better you better have a quarterback or you better have a plan to get a quarterback right away because if you don't have a quarterback you have a chance because everyone who's getting fired a lot of times it has to do with the quarterback not performing or not being good enough at the quarterback position to, to win games and that's that was the other surprising piece of this uh, again there have been rumblings about Mike Zimmer being out uh, this year not as much heat on Rick Spielman yeah. uh, who has been there for 16 because years because we just talked about the, the roster. NFL. Terrific yeah. roster. It's yeah. made some terrific draft picks. Uh, Justin Jefferson, obviously, Dalvin Cook in the second round has been huge. The defensive pieces have been like a solid core there. Daniel Hunter only plays, what, seven games this year? Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, and they were out. So, like, I, I think it'll be really intriguing to see who the Vikings go after for, from a personnel standpoint because they just had George Payton, right, who, yeah. who would who would seem yeah. to be the heir apparent and then let him leave for Denver uh, this past year, right? It's such a it's such a weird thing, man. Like like yeah. right now, I mean, there are a lot of good guys, a lot of good buddies of ours that are qualified. But then you're sitting and you're looking at these jobs and you're trying to figure out who fits where, what would be the right, right. fit for the, 
the guys that we know based on their personality and their belief system and the success that they've had and and all of that other stuff. And then you wonder, um, did Will make the move with somebody internally in mind? Like, that's the thing that we don't know because yeah. it's, it's, it's so weird. And, and DJ and I can talk about, like, when you work there, you have these conversations with ownership and people and all that other stuff, and you never know how it impacts how they view you. Yeah. Or you never know, like, what the internal view is on someone. Is there a rising star who they feel like, hey, look, he learned. We can keep some of the continuity in place, but maybe this guy gives us an opportunity to be even better. Like, we, I mean, it's just one of those weird occurrences. Yeah. I, what do you guys think about this? I'll get both your opinions on this because I've long subscribed to the opposite theory, right? Whoever leaves, you hire the opposite. For sure. So, like, like when I look at the Minnesota head coaching job, Zimmer's an X's and O's guru. Like he's as respected a defensive mind as there is in football. Like he's been mm-hmm, outstanding. Sure. And I think, but maybe from like a soft edges, communicative, like, yeah. you know, that kind of guy. Yes. Yeah. Yes. So like kind of a, that type of a coach. And then I think about the Denver Broncos, Vic Fangio, kind of an old, older Rough. curmudgeon yeah. defensive yeah. in the, in the weeds X's and O's guy. Like I think they try and find like a big personality uh, type to replace him. And then with Nagy with Chicago, I think of, okay, kind of, you know, somewhat obscure, unknown who came in there. So now you go find a made man, which is, you know, Harbaugh. Mm, yeah. um, I think it's interesting when you look at these jobs from the standpoint of the opposite thing. Now, Jacksonville, what's the opposite of Urban Meyer? I got, I don't know how to help you with that one. Like, I, yeah. look, I, I wish I could shed more light on that situation. I think the Jacksonville situation is such a weird deal because um, yesterday, maybe you guys weren't aware, but because I'm tied to the organization like theirs, it was a clown out. People showed yeah. up and they won the game, the game. <laughs> in clown suits. Trevor has his best game. Yeah. Right. Clown suits. And they played their tails off. Trevor played the best game that he that he played. Yeah. They played lights out. You're looking at the team, you're trying to figure out like, who is this team? Where, who where is, is this? Team? Where are these? <laughs> where has this team been hiding? And so now it's okay. So you have to clown out to show your displeasure with uh ownership right now, retaining the general manager, but you get a win. So now what? How much does that cloud everything? Not for the fans, but for ownership. Like, well, I don't, I don't, I don't want to get you. I don't want to get you in trouble, Buck. I don't want. I'm not. Don't even answer if I put you in an uncomfortable spot. By but the way, Nathaniel Hackett interviewing later this week. The Packers. The I'll, I'll just say this. Yeah. I know. I know some of these dudes who are up for for that job. They will not is, go. They don't want it, and they, they and they go. they acknowledge. I think this quarterback's going to be great, but that's not. I'm not they taking that go. job. Maybe I'm I'll gonna, interview. Maybe I'll interview. Get the experience. All that, but. And no, I'm not taking that job. And is so, that because of general manager? Is that because of organizational function? Is I'll, 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 I'll leave that up to you to, to, to add that together. So, so here's, here's, here's what I would say. I would say that what needs to happen is an organizational reset. All right. And so whoever comes in, and this is what they thought they were getting. Organization needs to be unified from top to bottom on both sides, business and football side. Everything needs to be like the silo needs to be correct. And so that person needs to be what I say, like the reason why I say it has to be someone with experience and know how that person needs to, Hey, from day one, when they walk in the building, here's how we're operating. This is where we're going. This is what it looks like. This is how we're going to collab. It's going to be great. We're going to have this interacting thing and all this other stuff because it's been so fractured for over a decade that it's hard. A coach with a great playbook is not going to change the culture. It's not going to change the winning factor it has to be someone who has a presence who has the ability to bring everybody together 
and move them forward. And so the leadership part of it is more important than any of the stuff that happens in the playbook. And look, that personnel piece is huge because you got a lot of different things in the building that are working on. And so yeah. you got to be able to get along and figure out how you're going to do it. Just recapping then, uh, before we move on here, six head coaching openings as of this taping here this morning. Sounds like as of right now, there will not be a seventh in New York. In mm. round four, Mike mm-hmm. Garofolo, all reporting Joe Judge has been meeting with coaches and players today with an eye towards him leading this team into the future. General manager could, of course, be another story. Uh, we'll, of course, keep an eye on that. But the Giants and the Jets there after a disappointing football season in uh, New, the New York, New Jersey area, uh, both with two top 10 draft picks. Get into the top 10 here in just a bit uh, as well. Two GM openings as of right now in Minnesota and in Chicago. And really, I guess, guys, according to us here, there's really only five head coaching openings. We fully expect Rich Passaccia mm-hmm. to get the, the full-time gig uh, in Las Vegas as they prepare for the postseason. How they got there? is, of course, the subject and one of the headlines of this NFL season and perhaps this NFL century. We get into it right after this quick break. You go into your shower feeling tired, but as soon as you reach for the Irish Spring, your day immediately gets better. That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish Spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses. So when you finally emerge from the shower... 37 minutes later, because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want, you're ready to take on the day. And smell great doing it. Irish Spring Body Wash and Bar Soap. Fresh, green, Irish. Shop now at a store near you. Game of the week, game of the year, game of the deck. I mean, like, game of what? Like, do you just pick the superlative? <laughs> Raiders, Chargers from Las Vegas last night was everything you ever wanted in a football game with all of the implications and everything on the line. And the Raiders end up with the victory and punching their ticket to the postseason after all that they'd been through this year. Uh, DJ, you were at this game, calling it as part of the Chargers broadcast. Obviously, disappointment on the Charger side with how it ended. Uh, I'll give you the floor to start this thing here and how you how you saw it develop. Well, first of all, somebody uh, on the way home called and said, you need to save your credential because they'll be talking about this game in 20 years. And what I realized, I'm very tough on my credentials here. Right? I mean, that, <laughs> thing is in, that thing is in rough shape. So I don't think I'm going to be keeping this. So it may, it may, you, 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 take it, you can say you can get, you can get it laminated. Take it and yes. get laminated. Send that to somebody. Uh, I've never been. I've never been at a more entertaining game, a more you know stressful game. And I'm I'm sitting there. The significance of it with three fan bases locked in, knowing that their postseason fate rides on this game i mean it was it was like nothing i've ever seen before and just fourth down after fourth down um herbert was incredible the raiders as you mentioned so much grit so much toughness in my opinion and i'm stepping back from this i know i call the games for the chargers i think the talent disparity between those teams was vast i think the chargers have a Mm -hmm. much better team on paper than the Mm -hmm. raiders did but the chargers shot themselves in the foot with a bunch of stuff which we'll get into and yeah. the Raiders grit and toughness, and they were more physical at the biggest moments of the game. And they also featured their best players. They don't have a ton of big-time guys, but Max Crosby dominated the football mm-hmm. game off the edge. Yeah. They got him on Storm Norton, and the Chargers didn't have any answer for it. Hunter Renfro down in the red zone, dominated. Their stars in those big moments uh, kind of carried them. And Josh Jacobs 
no flash, but I feel Buck, we've been on this, we've been riding this train here for the last month or so as we start looking towards a draft. Give me the 220 pound backs because you might be you might have 10 carries for 20 yards in the first half, but eventually in the third and fourth quarter, you don't want to tackle a 220 pound guy. And that was the run that really sealed their fate. Yeah, there was two runs. DJ, like everyone, it's funny, everyone gave Derek Carr a lot of credit for the, the victory, but that last drive was a Josh Jacobs drive. Yeah. Yes, mm-hmm. Derek Carr made a critical throw to Brian Edwards on the sideline. But Josh Jacobs had two big runs. He had a big run. Leatherwood even had a big block. Yeah, that flipped yeah. the field because it was like a 20, maybe a 28-yard run. They got him around midfield, which gave the Raiders breathing room. Because you got to remember, they're leaking oil badly on yeah. defense. Like, it is a situation where I'm like, if they punt, it's a wrap. If mm-hmm. they punt the ball back to Justin Herbert, it's game over because he's hot. The defense is trying to figure it out. Um, and those things, Josh Jacobs popped a couple of different runs, then that 10 yard run to put him in field goal range, did it. I think what was apparent to me from a scouting perspective or team building, your defensive line, you have to have dudes on the defensive line so you can rush four. That was apparent the entire game, the way both teams elected to opt for coverage as opposed to pressure. The Raiders played Gus Bradley's regular three deep man to man system where they just alternated between man-to-man and their three-deep zone, and they just let Max Crosby, Crosby and Yannick Ngakwe and those guys up front game, stunts, Max. loops. Wow. It was a four-man rush all game. On occasion, they did a five-man pressure, but that's it. Then they locked up and played coverage. The same thing on the back end with the Raiders, double-teaming and trying to figure out how they wanted to take away Waller and Renfro. And so you better have pass rushers in place to be able to, to get it done. And then DJ talked about it earlier. Yeah, man, it's it's a big man game. Mm-hmm. I want corners that are over six feet tall. I want corners that can match up and lock up and do some of those things and can but, fill against the run. To be honest, because they're gonna gotta, make they're gonna make those guys tackle. They're and, gonna make them tackle. And that and this is the other thing. And look, I I have a contentious relationship with the nerds, even though I do believe in analytics and those <laughs> things. But there's certain things in the game that we cannot throw away. As we get into the stretch and we get to winning time, the running game matters. And for a large part of the season, people were content to sit in two high looks and just let people have the slow death, right? Oh, let them run it or whatever. But when it comes to games and control, you have to be able to turn the spigot off. At times, you got to be able to stop the run and make people throw the ball. And if you don't pay attention to your run defense, it costs you, particularly down when we're getting closer to the tournament, when it becomes more of a complimentary game and time of possession and all that other stuff really matters and who wins and who loses. All right. So let's get to the end of game sequence yep. here. Um, and first we'll just say, look, the, the 19 play drive that started just North of the two minute warning that featured 19 throws <laughs> and three fourth and long conversions by Justin Herbert and the chargers offense was insane. And then you had the gotta have it throw to Mike Williams in between two defenders for the touchdown to tie it. <laughs> Somewhat surprised that Staley didn't kick, didn't go for two, the two point conversion, considering what we saw on his own eighteen yard line earlier in the third quarter, <laughs> the two pointer that would have would have won it and saved overtime. But knowing that a tie got him in overtime, you have to kick it, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah obviously you had to kick it. We all understand that. And then the tie, as you know, would have gotten both teams into the postseason, which is what we thought we were barreling towards. Mm-hmm. Oh, here we go. Breaking news. Dave Gettleman has announced his retirement from the New York Giants. Uh, again, that was a move a uh, we thought we thought might happen there. So uh, we do have a new football personnel executive coming to the New York Giants. All right, let's get back to this game, though. <clears throat> so you're in overtime. 
Both teams kick a field goal. Raiders get the ball back here, knowing that the next score of any type wins the mm-hmm. game, but a tie would get both teams into the playoffs and send the Steelers out of the playoffs. By the way, DJ, you didn't get to see it because you were in the booth, but there were Steelers fans in the crowd wearing Steelers <laughs> jerseys on, really? <laughs> that were being shown like this at the end of the game, literally beside themselves, understanding yeah. that a tie would have kicked the Steelers out of the postseason. Okay. So you had the Raiders kind of marching down the field, Bucky, as you mentioned, with Josh Jacobs in the run game, eating up the Chargers defense, which, look, we'd seen Mm -hmm. for much of this season, right? And then it just felt like both teams were kind of just marching towards Mm -hmm. a tie here. There wasn't any real urgency. And then with 38 seconds left, Brandon Staley calls the timeout. Not because he wanted to get the ball back, as he said after the game, but because he wanted to make sure, knowing that on third and four, the Raiders were going to run the football, that he had his best, his premier run defense outfit for that personnel grouping on the field. Like, I don't have as much of an issue with the timeout as I do, like, the end result based on the logic. Like, if that was your best and you gave up the 10-yard chunk play. They didn't sell out. They didn't sell out either. Like, I don't get it. That part I don't get. Because like, I don't know that the thirty the timeout with 38 seconds was like forced Rich Basaccia to change his thinking and be like, oh, okay, well, now we're going to kick the field goal. No, they changed their thinking because they got 10 yards, 10 yards. on the third exactly. down run. Right? That's why I didn't understand because I didn't know. I'm not watching the game. So I know obviously it was talked about in the broadcast and then it was talked about after the game about you know the timeout, the timeout, the timeout. Look. It's not like they ran, they called a timeout and said, oh, let's put together the fanciest run play that anybody's ever seen. And now we're no. really going to, it's a straight ahead run. There was nothing to it. They had and a little Foster bit Moreau of a row in motion leading the way. Yeah, they it? were heavy yeah. right and they ran left and they didn't fill it properly. And you had a bad situation for the Chargers. They didn't get off the field. They needed to stop the run. They didn't stop the run. I was saying during the broadcast, guys, the exact opposite of, I thought he should have burned, he should have used his timeouts as early as possible at that in that last sequence because here you are you're third and four right the one thing and there so that would have been a what they were at the 38 yard line so that is a <laughs> no, 55 it, yard field goal yeah right? it's like 50 55 56 yard field goal so here here's would have my never thing. taken that field goal. so, so here's my thing no no but never. here's the thing if you let the clock run all the way down and now there's two seconds the raiders can say you know what trot out there we'll kick the 55 yard field goal he makes it. We win. He misses it. it the, the game's over, no matter what. The game is over. They wouldn't have kicked it. Yeah, but but if you had yeah. if you had fifty seconds, sixty seconds, somewhere like that left on the clock, they have to punt it. They, you know, there's no chance on God's green earth they're going to attempt a field goal that that ends the game for you. Your thing was you had to eliminate. You had to eliminate yeah. the field goal opportunity. And so, yeah. to me, I didn't. They kind of went in between. It was like you let it go all the way down to thirty-eight seconds, and then you call a timeout. Um, I, you know, I didn't, I didn't get that. I, I thought you forced their hand that they can't kick because I didn't want to be in a situation where they can sit here with three seconds left and go, we can, we can kick it or not, you know, and, and at that point in time, we can have no penalty for us kicking and attempting a field goal. There's none. The game's over. Um, and yeah. so that, that didn't happen. So I think there are a couple of different things, right? So I think when you're rich Passaccia from a coaching standpoint, what you're doing is. After the two field goals in overtime, I can't remember how much time was left when the drive started. Um, it might have been looked like right around 3, 3.30, somewhere in there. The one thing that you're thinking about is, okay, everyone, first knows, down. That, yeah, everyone knows that, okay, we, we, can't, we can't 
lose the game. We just can't lose the game because that eliminates us. So we, yep. so we need to get the ball out from our own end so we don't have a punt and then Justin Herbert can bring it back. So it's a mix of the Raiders playing offense while playing defense. Now, mm-hmm. they surprised everybody when they first down, they take a shot mm-hmm. and they get they move the ball down the field. Then they have a big run. I was like, oh, OK. So now they're midfield. So now what you're trying to do is like, OK, how aggressive do we want to be if we throw it and have an interception? They're not so going to throw it. Yeah, you know, right. they're not going to throw the ball. Right. So 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 now you're like, OK, run it, run it. And so at this point, I'm like, they're kind of taking the collective breath because when the Chargers didn't use their timeout early, they're like, oh, okay, yeah, cool. It's almost like coaching the game at the first half. You're trying to see how the yeah. opponent's gonna play it out. Like, hey, if they don't take a timeout, hey guys, we're just running out, take it to half. Mm-hmm. Right. And I felt like we were at that point where they were like, oh, they're not taking the timeout. Cool, because they had two of them. Yeah. And so right. now, though, when he uses the timeout and he has another one in his bag, so now Basashi's trying to figure out like. Look, if we don't if we don't get the first down, we yeah. may have to either punt it back. I think to yeah, I think they punt. I think they 100% right, the, would have right. punted. And so the reason why I believe they ran it is because they're like, look, I don't want to give them an incomplete. And now it's fourth and four. I give it back to Herbert with a timeout. He can maybe connect on a pass, call a timeout, throw another pass cuz we've seen it, and then they kick a long field goal. So you try yeah. not to mess up the game. And by taking the time out, I actually believe Staley did a disservice because now I flipped the thinking. But then when you give up the 10-yard play, they're like, well, we're that's not the whole thing. Now. I mean, we can debate well, that just to a blue in the face. Yeah. You, you, yeah. you got you to stop. You can't give up a 10-yard run when everybody in the stadium knows you're running the football. You can't give up yeah. 10 yards. You can't. You just can't, can't do can't. it. Because that's it. That was like, the only thing that couldn't happen. Like Rhett <laughs> was thinking, the reason why I didn't think they could pass because of incomplete. There's no way you can kick a 57-yard field goal. No. Because the only thing you're thinking – they're going to they gonna block the kick. It's going to come out low. They're going to scoop and score. It's going to be the kick six, and we're going to lose the game. If I yeah. punt it and it nestles down in the 10-yard line, there's not enough time. There's not enough time yeah. on the clock for Justin Herbert to make a play. To come Speaking back. of time, I know we don't, we're running out of time, but to me, that was not as egregious as going forward on your own 18 at that point in time in the no. game against an offense no. that has done nothing. The Raiders' offense had only scored points courtesy of a turnover on a punt and a penalty a, a kind of a bad call, in my opinion, on a on a pass yeah. interference where yeah. you have somebody running a post and he throws a corner and twenty yards away from him and you got a pass <laughs> interference call. But nonetheless, no. that's the only offense the Raiders had in the first half, and you just right. gave them three points. Like that to me was that was and, and points and points are at a premium. And I'll say this, DJ, I kept I was like the Raiders have left so many points on the field yeah. that when you have an opportunity in those games. Those elimination games, if you have an opportunity to put points on the board, you got to keep putting points on the board. You need space and separation to yeah. prevent those things from happening. And when they didn't load it up, I was just like, man, like, don't give them the ball at 20. Like, don't yeah. give, just don't give them three points. Make people That's earn yeah. the points. And yeah, it's hard, but I'll, I'll say this because we have to get off the topic. A couple of years ago, when the Falcons lost the Super Bowl 28 to 3. Uh, in the offseason, I had opportunity to um, bump into Devontae Freeman and Justin Hardy at a football camp. And at that camp, they were like, man, it's so hard. It's going to be so hard for us to pour it all in again when we're there 28 to 3. We have the chance. Mm-hmm. We have the ball. We're about to kick the field goal. They were like, it's just, we did everything. We did Navy SEALs training. We did all this or whatever. And so the hardest thing, and we saw it with the Seahawks when they threw the pass and it was intercepted. The hardest thing will 
be for Brandon Staley to put Humpty Dumpty back together again? Because yeah. the defensive players can say, like, hey, we understood it or whatever. But you can't tell me that some of those offensive guys are not like, wait a minute, man. Like, well, you saw Austin Eckler's reaction after the game talking to a Raiders yeah. player. You saw Herbert saying he was rooting for a tie harder than he ever has in his entire life and all that. Uh, but look, it was a heck of a game. Uh, the Raiders earned the opportunity. Uh, that I think we can all agree. Um, and now they're going to get into the postseason and take on the Cincinnati Bengals. The 49ers also use overtime to punch their ticket to the postseason and a fantastic game here at SoFi Stadium beating the Rams. Rams are still in as NFC West. Can I say and, this? And, can I, yes, can can. I say this about again? Uh, Sean McVay needs to stay out of the end zone celebrating with you. <laughs> I saw that. I got a lot of run, like, man. Like you can't, you can't, you can't, you can't do that. Like, like it's cool. Like that's that's high school type stuff or whatever. You you can't be in the end zone celebrating. Like pros, you can't do that. And I understand. Yeah. Like you you get excited. He was and that, fired up. Yeah. Those things kind of come back. They kind of come so, back on you. you I think somebody on I think that. I think somebody on social media had tweeted out that uh, Shanahan after the game should just go straight Suge Knight. You want a real producer, <laughs> not up all up in your yeah, videos, yeah, not rapping yeah. all your wow. records. Okay. Yeah, man, you just, Come to death row. Yeah, I get it. You just can't do. You just can't yep. do some of that. Some of that. Stuff. And for the first time, guys, in NFL history, a team clinches a playoff berth on uh, in two separate overtimes uh, with the Pittsburgh Steelers getting past uh, the Baltimore Ravens. Uh, or rather, in uh, in a in a last second fashion, uh, and then obviously using the Raiders win. So there you go, uh, full playoff picture, full breakdowns of the postseason coming up throughout the week here on Move the Stakes. We will give you our most intriguing playoff matchups uh, right after this quick break, as well as a look at the top ten draft order. It's now set. You go into your shower feeling tired, but as soon as you reach for the Irish Spring, your day immediately gets better. That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish Spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses. So when you finally emerge from the shower 37 minutes later because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want, you're ready to take on the day. And smell great doing it. Irish Spring Body Wash and Bar Soap. Fresh, green, Irish. Shop now at a store near you. Guys, let's take a look uh, here at the top 10 draft order. First 18 picks are set now that the playoff field is also set. Uh, but the top 10 features the Jaguars at the top, back-to-back uh, -back seasons here, Bucky. And then mm. how about the New York football establishment here outside of the Buffalo Bills? Jets and Giants with two picks apiece each in the top 10. Bucky, let's start with the Jags here uh, real quick uh, with the back-to-back -back number ones. Yeah, look, it's, it's funny because it was a bonus. It was a win-win for them. Um, normally when you win a game like they did at the end, you end up losing the lottery ticket to get the number one pick and those things. And so they were able to win the Lions one so that enabled the Jaguars to retain the number one pick. And so now you have to figure out, as we talk about in the classic team building fashion, what are the marquee players that you typically yeah. take? Number one is quarterback, pass rusher. And so offensive tackle, those are the things. And so now you have to look at the draft class and see, where do they want to go? Do they want to take one of the two pass rushers? Do they want to take the top offensive tackle? How do they want to go about building a franchise? That will be the debate for them going forward. And then, DJ, just to look at the opportunity for the Jets and Giants here with, <laughs> with two first-rounders in the top yeah, ten. No doubt. The Giants sitting here picking five and seven. The Jets sitting here at four and ten. Um, I think – you know, the good thing for the Jets is I think they feel good about Zach Wilson going forward. Now it's about trying to get him some more help. I think you look offensive yeah. line, 
I think on that defense, looking on the defensive line, I think it's a big guy draft for them. I think the Giants need some difference makers. Um, they need some athletes and some real difference makers on the perimeter. Um, we'll see what they end up doing uh, there. New GM going to be making those picks. Dave Gettleman no longer there. So uh, intrigue in the Big Apple uh, with those two teams in the top 10 this year. Yep, no question. Uh, and look, guys, five of the six matchups on Super Wildcard Weekend are going to be rematches. I'm telling you, just for my money, uh, I cannot wait to see Cowboys and Niners. Oh, like, yeah. I just feel like that is that is the most intriguing matchup to me out of this whole thing. But yeah, I think most there are plenty, mm-hmm. right? Most pressure yeah. on Dak Prescott in that game. It's the worst yep. matchup for the Dallas Cowboys. What's the our Amazon matchup. game? What's our Amazon game, Buck? Is it that one? Oh, it is that uh, one. No, uh, you guys. Dallas. No, it's yeah, Dallas, it is. That's Dallas it. That's the biggest one. Yep. There we go. We're yep. back on uh, Twitch, the, baby. That is the I got Musburger in my head after being in Vegas. Uh, we got we're on Twitch, baby. <laughs> Jackpot, baby. Jackpot, baby. Uh, Twitch.tv slash move the sticks. There you go. Um, all right. So that's gonna do it for this episode of Move the Sticks. But again, a deep dive into the playoff matchups coming up, as well as any further coaching GM moves that are made throughout the week. It's all here on Move the Sticks. A reminder to rate review and ask a question in the ratings and reviews section of Apple Podcasts, and we'll answer it on a future podcast. Thanks so much for listening to Move the Sticks. You go into your shower feeling tired, but as soon as you reach for the Irish Spring, your day immediately gets better. That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish Spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses. So when you finally emerge from the shower 37 minutes later because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want, you're ready to take on the day and smell great doing it. Irish Spring Body Wash and Bar Soap. Fresh, green, Irish. Shop now at a store near you.